0: Welcome to The Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. So yesterday, the the Senate voted to go ahead with the impeachment trial, but um, all but five Republican senators went along with Rand Paul's motion to declare the entire trial unconstitutional. So the the long surrender of the Republican Party to Donald Trump continues even after Donald Trump is gone. We'll talk about this in a little while. If, uh, if you are a subscriber to Bulwark Plus, you got my newsletter this morning. Where I raised the question, um, w- what is the excuse now? I mean, I, I think it's very easy to look at at this as well. You know, same old, same old. This is uh, this is what the Republican Party has been doing for the last four years. But but it is it is different because and my, my argument is there's really no excuse now. I mean, he's no longer president. There are no judges. There are no tax cuts to be signed. No regulations to be slashed. Mexico is never going to pay for the fucking wall. There aren't even tweets to be afraid of. So, you know, we had been assured by conservatives and Republicans over the last five years that that they needed to make this grand bargain, this Faustian bargain with Donald Trump. And that was the necessary price to advance a conservative agenda. So, yeah, you know, Charlottesville was awful. Kids in cages was really terrible. Uh, You know, the feckless botch of the pandemic was, uh, was 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 bad stuff. And so, of course, we had a thousand off the record interviews of Republicans saying that they were really concerned and upset over over his bizarre and erratic behavior and the incitement of white nationalist violence. But. But this is what they signed up for because this was the deal, right? I mean, it was worth ignoring all the lies, the corruption, the racism, because Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett. But see, here's the thing. And, and again, I, I I make the case in, in the newsletter. And if you're not a subscriber to Bulwark Plus, please consider doing so. But here's the problem. He's gone now. There aren't going to be any more Supreme Court justices. There are no jobs for buddies. Uh, there There are no more rides on Air Force One. The Faustian bargain has reached its expiration date. So even if you're flight 93 you don't know, believe that, well, you have to storm the cockpit because otherwise Hillary Clinton will destroy America. Well, no, it's it's not Trump versus Hillary. It's not Trump versus socialism and wokeness. It's not, you know, either Trump, Trump alone will save you from a caravan of Mexican rapists. No, it's just naked Trump. Now, Th- this vote is up or down. So, I mean, really what you you it's it's not like you're voting to make Nancy Pelosi president. It's basically drawing a line against sedition. And I think it's rather remarkable that uh, the Republican Party cannot do it. So we have a lot to talk about today. And so we're welcoming back one of our more popular guests, Will Salatin, who is the national correspondent for Slate magazine. Will, welcome back.
1: Hey, Charlie. Great to be with you.
0: Okay, now, the reason I I wanted you on this week was because of your brilliant piece earlier, earlier this this week that really I I have I have read several times. Um, The the headline is the enemy is not Republicans, it's liars. And you make the case for a broad fact based alliance against fabrications. Now, this is I, I assume this is aimed at fellow Democrats, fellow progressives saying, hey, listen, we need to make common cause with these some of these conservatives who have not gone completely crazy is that is that a fair is that a fair summary
1: yeah it is uh it is a plea to liberals centrists leftists whatever to set aside the traditional left right arguments i mean th- they're, no, nobody i'm not saying drop them entirely they're still there but there is a more fundamental threat going on and that is the the rise in this country through trump but but going past trump of uh this sort of dictatorial propaganda where you just lie you don't spin you don't accept common facts you make stuff up and when you're presented with contrary evidence you don't try to explain it away you just deny it and that didn't used to be the main way of talking in this country but Trump made it that way and and it obviously is persisting since he's gone and that that is the number 1 threat it is in the Republican party primarily but it is a national problem it is an international problem and all of us who are willing to play by the rules of deliberative democracy, which means at least accept facts when they're clearly real and try to argue about the facts, uh, have to stand together. and that means people on the left, the middle, and the right.
0: so let me let me quote you to yourself here for a moment. Um, Politics has become a fight between those who are willing to respect evidence and those who aren't. And you're saying you're not saying that Trump's other sins and crimes, the corruption, the bigotry, the treachery, all of this don't matter. Uh, but those legacies, awful as they are, are not as crippling as the damage he has done to our capacity for deliberation on the issues before us. And then you mentioned a whole bunch—you know, COVID, jobs, trade, police reform. There are lots of ideas that could unite progressives and uh, and conservatives. But without agreement on facts, or at least on a method of distinguishing facts from lies, we lose our ability to agree on to agree on policy. What Trump has brought to the United States is ruthless, relentless, denialist propaganda at a scale we used to see only in dictatorships. And obviously, uh, the, we, we, we've just seen the consequences of that. He proved that tens of millions of Americans would believe such lies and that thousands would violently attack our own government. Okay, what, what I think is interesting here is, it, and I, I've been struggling to articulate this, um, and, I, and I think you did a really good job that we need to, you know, maybe reconceptualize how we think of politics, at least at least in the in the near term. That 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 there's the right-left axis, but there's also a vertical axis, which is truth, lies, uh, liberal democracy versus authoritarianism. And that, that that seems to be more relevant right now, that the, the issues that that really are going to determine where we go as a society are on that vertical axis as opposed to the right, left axis. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying that that we need to acknowledge that it is also there and really important. I mean, I, I think that's the, one of the points you're making in this article.
1: Yeah and, and actually I would encourage people to think of this this axis of uh, truth or falsehood not so much as an ideological thing, which left right. and right often is. Like we, we can look at the same information, we can argue it different ways. That can be ideological. This axis of truth and falsehood is not it's, it's more practical um, and practical in the sense that, if if you and I, Charlie, want to have an argument about policy, and I'll, yeah. you know, do my job of rep- representing the left and you'll, you'll do your job of representing the right, yeah. we at least have the common information to ground us. I can point to it and say, but what about this? And you can say, yeah, but what about that? And we, we have a we have a method of arguing about reality that can force each of us at various points to say, okay, you got me on that one. That's true. But all right, that's progress. We can have a, a conversation that's constructive. But this, if you have people, and, and it becomes a significant co- constituency in this country, a driving constituency in the Republican Party at this point, who just don't accept the facts, who you, you tell them, yeah, but that, that case, that election fraud argument was already tried in the Ninth Circuit or whatever it was, and they didn't find any merit to it or whatever. You know, it was, uh, there was a recount in Georgia. They checked that out. It didn't turn out to be true. People who won't say, okay, at that point or accept the fact, nothing can be accomplished right. with them. Right. And so they get in the way of all progress on all issues.
0: And, and their, their beliefs are, are non-falsifiable. There's no piece of evidence that they can give them. So in, in Georgia, they had the audit, didn't make a difference. Recount, didn't make a difference. Refuted each and every one of them. So this becomes almost the, it, it becomes like a, this religious belief. Okay, But given that, that you can't have a discussion, you can't get anything done. Really, what do you do about this? And and the reason I'm bringing this up is because you can see that on the right that you have two things happening. And, and then this is tragic to me. I mean, I, look, I wrote a book called How the Right Lost Its Mind. The right continues to lose its mind. You're seeing the spreading acceptance of, you know, flat out lies, not to mention QAnon conspiracy, I mean, these wild ass conspiracy theories that just make your, your, your head explode. You know, you're seeing the rise of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And yet the other development on the right is the suggestion that if you do anything about this, that you are part of cancel culture that you are trying to gag people. And I thought Mike Allen had a very interesting point the other day. He said this uh, this theme of silencing will be to the modern Republican Party what big government was in the 90s, an all-purpose target designed to inflame feelings of victimhood. So this is also what's happened. So how do you fix this? How do you what, – what, what do you do with an ecosystem in which Fox News is – is in real competition with OAN for who can sling as much bogus bullshit?
1: You know, I don't have the simple answer. I mean, one answer is, um, I mean, the answer to to winning this fight in the long run is just make it hurt to be a liar, um, to to make it, politically damaging, and that's difficult when those folks have as much of a grip as they do on the Republican Party. Um, But as to the argument, the sort of Tucker Carlson argument about how this is cancel culture, I think to the best of our ability, we need to uh, drive a wedge between the debate about ideology and the debate about facts Um, to make clear that this is not an argument that is applied selectively to the right or the left. It is about it is a, it is a standard against lying if you lie and it is verifiable that you are lying or that you are not accepting evidence presented to you you're spreading disinformation um, yeah we're gonna come down on you because that's that's a just a general rule of debate um, Now you do need enough of a culture in the country to accept that right you need people to be able to look at, Uh, This conversation and say, okay, these things over here, these really are facts, right? Uh, These are just lies. And no, you don't have the same privilege to spread complete lies, especially when you know they're lies, as you would to make an argument for a point of view.
0: The problem is, is that... It's easy to say this and and I, and I I'm, I'm really wrestling with this because you know I, I I tried for many many years to push back against misinformation and found that it was becoming increasingly difficult as we create these alternative realities. There's no way that we're going to fix this sickness on the right without conservative media taking a constructive role, right? I mean it, let's let's be honest about it. I mean you know co- conservatives are not going to Give up on the conspiracy theories and the false stories because uh, NPR tells them to do it, or because Slate tells them to do it, or because the New York Times tells them to do it. Right? They're going to have to hear it from trusted voices. And here's the scary thing. And so, uh, will you 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 mentioned the Tucker Carlson argument, and I think this is really central. So, could could you could you bear me? I want to let's play what he said the other night, and and he's talking about criticism of QAnon now. For people, I assume that most of our listeners kind of have a sense of QAnon, I mean, but QAnon is really crazy stuff. I mean, it's it's you know the satanic uh, group of pedophiles who drink babies' blood. Marjorie Taylor Green has even suggested that there are videos of Hillary Clinton, you know, carving off a baby's face. I mean, I mean, this is really really weird stuff. I mean, it is it is to say that it's toxic doesn't seem good enough. But here's Tucker Carlson on the biggest platform on the right talking about QAnon and the
2: criticism of QAnon. Let's just play this. The real threat is a forbidden idea. It's something called QAnon. Next, what to do about QAnon and its droves of loyal followers? Is it too little, too late to bring our loved ones back to reality? Many of those who believe the totally unfounded conspiracies and prophecies of QAnon expected January 20th to be judgment day. As far right figures and QAnon conspiracy theorists are joined by Trump supporters who believe the election was stolen.
1: QAnon is Better viewed as an on ramp to various different extremism circles.
2: How many people in the country have been marinated uh, in these conspiracy theories, QAnon craziness, uh, and it is frightening. Ooh, Mr. Tom Friedman thinks this is all pretty frightening. And he's right, but not as usual for the reasons he thinks. We're watching a profound change taking place in American society, and it's happening very fast. The stakes could not be higher. There is a clear line between democracy and tyranny, between self-government and dictatorship. And here's what that line is. That line is your conscience. They cannot cross that. Government has every right to tell you what to do. Controlling the behavior of citizens is one of the basic prerogatives of any organized society. It's why we have it. Government can try to prevent you from committing murder or rape or from speeding or jaywalking. That's all allowed. It's legitimate. But no democratic government can ever... Mm -hmm. tell you what to think. Your mind belongs to you. It is yours and yours alone. Once politicians attempt to control what you believe, they are no longer politicians. They are by definition dictators. And if they succeed in controlling what you believe, you are no longer a citizen. You are not a free man. You are a slave. So yes, Tom Friedman, this is frightening. It's everywhere all of a sudden. No one is pushing back. And so they have all, almost every one of them, join the mob of censors, hysterics, and Jacobin destroyers, all working on behalf of entrenched power to take total control of everything.
0: Okay, excuse me while I I go and put my head in a wood chipper. (laughs) I mean... So, so what what Tucker Carlson does is he he, he raises QAnon, doesn't describe what it is, what the beliefs are, and then then has a couple of clips of people saying that's really you know it's it's bad that people believe crazy stuff. It's actually scary, and before you know it, it's you know Tom Friedman says it's scary, but no, what's really scary is is what these you know Jacobin what, what was he, how do you describe you know these j- Jacobin dictator types like like you will I guess right? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so Charlie, I that rant is so nuts that um yeah. i there is an argument sometimes that rants like that are a sign of progress that it's a stage of collapse right that you mm. you don't you don't have anything to argue on the merits so you're just screaming about my right to believe that the sky is purple or orange or whatever it is uh he's he doesn't really have any anything to argue there it's possible that eventually you know that they they will they will just lose that fight um since they don't have any because I've heard much better arguments from the right uh, when there's something serious to argue.
0: Well, see, I, I think it's much worse than this. I, I'm, I'm going to raise the alarm a little bit more here because it, there's a fundamental deep dishonesty In Tucker Carlson's argument, because first of all, he's conflating um, concern about whether something is true or not true with government censorship. There was no suggestion anywhere in any of the clips he played or by Thomas Friedman, as far as I know, um, that the government come in and tell you what you can believe. Right. So, you know, but part of this is is making the the victimization. But also it is creating this climate now uh, on the right where to even
2: question
0: the truth or falsity of these absolutely batshit crazy conspiracy theories is somehow part of the silencing or the cancel culture. So, you know, going back to what we've been talking about, if we need to have, you know, a politics that's based on truth, the right's response, at least based on Tucker Carlson thing, is not going to be. Well, that's true or not true. It's going to be you can't even say that you're tr- you're trying to come for us. You're trying to gag us. You're trying to to, uh, you know, take away our conscience, our conscience, which you know wants to believe that Hillary Clinton does drink the blood of babies and wears dead baby skin masks because that's America will.
1: Uh, right, right. So so this goes back to the, the, the theme that we've been talking about, the distinction between disputes of, of fact and disputes of, of opinion or ideology. Um, and no, I completely agree with you that once that distinction is lost, you end up with people invoking conscience as a right to believe just nonsense, you know, batch it conspiracy theories. So that's kind of where the Carlson argument is. I, I Maybe it's because I'm not on the right that I'm not taking it as seriously as I should, that I don't realize that, that people who think that way control the Republican Party at this point. Um, and that is very disturbing. Um, it makes me think, though, that to come back to a, a very important constructive idea, what we desperately need is Affirmative models of how to be conservative and reality based at the same time. I'm, that may sound a little crazy to people who've been conservative and reality based. No, all no, long.
0: no that, that's exactly what you have to have. It's just so rare.
1: So, so this goes back to what you said about I, uh, Will Salatan, Slate, the left, liberals, whatever. I'm not. We're we're not going to be able to talk to people on the right. They're just going to point. You know, Carlson, Ted Cruz, et all. They're going to point to people like me and say, Yeah, that's the left trying to tell you how to think. So what we need is a stable, uh, respected, authoritative right an elite, if you will, of people who, you know, who uh, talk about politicians, media, who are authentically conservative, who can say, look, I am against abortion. I am for strong national defense. I am for low taxes. And yet this Q stuff is completely bonkers. And let me show you why. So that the Carlsons can't point to them and say, that's the left telling you what to think. They'd have to say, that's conservatives of a different kind telling you what to think. And those conservatives could then have an argument with the crazy conservatives about whether we're going to be fact-based or not.
0: No, I, I agree with you completely. And that's why someone like a Chris Wallace is so important on on, on, on Fox News. Uh, but others like that have been driven out. I mean, I, I think the wor- one of the worst developments is, is watching um, uh, Fox putting Maria Bartiromo – uh, in prime time, one of the worst of the worst. So this is what bothers me about Tucker Carlson is, is that this is a role that he could play. He could take that credibility that he has, he could take that audience he has, and he could say, look, you know, we 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 hate all these leftists and all of this stuff and all the stuff you just you just mentioned, but this is wrong. Do not do this. Um, the fact that he doesn't want to do that says a lot about, I think, his character, but also about the political environment on the right where, you know, Fox News I think is afraid to push back on the lies on the conspiracy theories on things like this, because they're afraid that this is what the audience wants and that if they do, they will lose an audience share to OAN and Newsmax who are more than willing to you know, spread this. So the, the, the disturbing thing is that is that what they're trying to do is instead of saying let's say we're talking about marjorie taylor green who is just absolutely out of her freaking mind and of course we're getting these reports now that she talked about the assassination of of nancy pelosi and killing other leaders and etc and by the way as i tweeted out earlier today it is an assassination a form of cancel culture i mean since we're talking <laughs> about can, cancel, i mean i would think that that would be a form of canceling but so rather than saying, you know, is there a place for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene? They're falling back to these people need to be respected. How dare you try to impose your view on them? Because I don't know what else you do about this except to say these people are wrong. And if they won't acknowledge it, um, we need to disassociate ourselves with them. And quite frankly, you know, I'm a, I'm a free speech absolutist, but I, but I have to say I don't have a problem. With Twitter and Facebook and others saying you do not have a right to lie and spread batshit crazy stuff on our sites. We are a private company and we're not doing it. But of course, this has become the rallying cry about the great silencing, right? I mean, Josh Hawley goes on television every single night now to say, oh, poor me, I'm a victim, I'm being silenced.
1: Yes, and this highlights one of the most important rules of politics, uh, that is, uh, uh, rules that will actually develop a healthy politics. And it is beware of developing the wrong audience, beware of cultivating people. Who will make you? Who will attract you to, and will eventually constrain you to tell lies, to to, huh. to to cultivate? I mean, this is. I mean, I keep thinking back. I'm from Texas, right? I was a I was a Democrat in Texas growing up, and the Texas Democratic Party died. What happened? The the Southern strategy, right? The Republican Party took a bunch of voters from the Democratic Party in Texas and other states and became uh, culturally the majority party. But those people. I don't know how to say this without sounding elitist. They were the wrong audience, right? Mm-hmm. They were racists, and uh, I mean, there were, were some, there were some okay people in there, but basically, the Republican Party became captive to. And now that those people have just completely lost their minds and they are the Marjorie Taylor Greene constituency. They are the Trump constituency in a lot of ways. They are a drum roll, please. The, the basket of deplorables. And what happened is the Republican party became dependent on them. They became yeah. so powerful in the party that even the departure of Donald Trump, as you have pointed out, will not make this go away because that basket of deplorables now dominates the party. Now, When I say deplorable, I don't want to mean these people are unsalvageable, but if you are going to have a healthy political party and you're going to have some of those people in it, you are going to have to lead something Josh Hawley is unfamiliar with. And leadership means in part telling them what they don't want to hear because it is true, because they will have a more productive, healthy life and certainly a more productive, healthy country if they will accept reality and work with it.
0: You know, see, this is the question that I have in my mind is the the fear of leadership, the fear of doing something like that, because what their assumption is, is that the the audience is that their constituency is so far gone that they need to speak to them in these dumbed down terms and they need to pander to these these fallacies. And if they stood up and said, look, I am with you on these things, we share values, but this is wrong that they think they will be rejected. Now I don't know whether they will be, because I mean, you would you would think, and maybe maybe this is a sign of my I still have a little bit of naivete is that people respect someone who treats them with respect and says, "Look, I want you to be credible. We have the same goals, but this is a lie. This is not true. Um, this this is this is um, this hurts your credibility, and plus, it's immoral to be pushing these arguments." You would think that that there would be at least some leaders who'd be willing to say that on the right, and there are, but they're vanishingly rare. I mean, we can we can we can we can count them on one hand and still have a couple of fingers left over, right? So th- this is this is this is the this is the scary moment, and I think you're seeing it right now. There was that moment right after January 6th where I thought there was going to be that kind of a introspection and debate, but boy, the window closed fast, didn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, actually Charlie, you're making me think that I'm being too pessimistic. Uh and I like your way of looking at this better because it leaves open the possibility for reform, improvements, etc. that 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 there are a lot of folks who are being played with QAnon bullshit who who can be brought around to a more pro- more productive, healthier, more sensible way of being conservative. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'm I'm concerned that they haven't shown a willingness to do that. But the the other way of looking at it, from my sort of writing them off, would be instead focusing on the leaders, focusing on the Hollies and the Cruises and the Tucker Carlson's Fox News, which literally is captive to this audience, and saying that leaders could could improve the situation by speaking more respectfully as you're putting it to them. And all I can tell you, Charlie, is I want to see that experiment conducted. I want to see- I do too. What what if Fox News said, you know what? We're not going to compete with OAN. We're not going to compete with Newsmax. We're going to compete with uh, the mainstream networks. And we're just going to not be biased from a liberal point of view. And let's see what kind of audience we can develop doing that.
0: No, I and and I I thought that there was a possibility that that was going to happen, but clearly they've made a different decision. I mean, clearly they they are looking over their shoulder and they just do not want to be outflanked on the right, which I think is part of the story of the last uh, decade in terms of conservative media is that no one wanted to be outflanked. You know, um, so, I mean, you know, part of the question is. What's more likely to happen now? I mean, now I'm, I'm, I'm shifting, shifting gears. Sometimes I'm, I, ju- I jump around. But in, in, in terms of the direction the, the conservatives are going, are they more likely to strip Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments or are they more likely to strip Liz Cheney of her chairmanship of the House caucus? I mean, I, I think that's one of those those very, very clear issues. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a disgrace of the House of Representatives. Her comments alone, her behavior certainly warrants. That she get the steve king treatment i mean we've already known i mean the republicans are capable of saying you're a bigot you you're you go too far we're not going to have you on committees uh are they likely to do that with the marjorie taylor greens or the lauren bobbitts or are they more likely to say you know to someone who has been decent and principled and done exactly what you and i are discussing here um you know uh excommunicating liz cheney liz cheney who stood up and said look we are all conservatives but this is wrong this is going too far Those people are the ones who are being purged.
1: Okay, so uh, again, I'll I'll be the pessimist. I don't believe that the. Leadership- I am
0: the pessimist. No, <laughs> I want to apologize if you think if you think that I am more optimistic than you are. You, you are maybe, more yeah, optimistic. No, you're, no, you're arguing I, that
1: this can be improved. I like it.
0: No, I'm saying it could be, but it's not happening. I mean, that right. the, the the fact that I think that in in a an Earth 2.0, it is conceivable to imagine it happening, but the absence of it happening makes me deeply pessimistic. So. Uh, I, I and, and, and I would refer people to the transcript because I completely deny the the baseless allegation, Mr. Salatin, that I am more optimistic <laughs> than you are.
1: OK, so I'll, I will take the pessimistic line here and okay. say that um, the uh, I, I don't expect the Republic, the leadership of the Republican Party to do the right thing. I just don't. They they have not shown me that over in recent years. They have. So they I believe they will do they will go where inertia takes them. They will go take the path of least resistance. And that's what that's what they, they, they've done. They're afraid of the Trump constituency. They're afraid of the Marjorie Taylor Greene constituency. They're just going to uh, coddle that constituency, as they did with the Steve King constituency, as long as they can. Uh, at some point, it has to hurt, right? The, the Steve King thing had to just hurt to a point where they would strip him of his committee assignments. And The Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff just hasn't hurt enough. I mean, the 2020 election, look, I'm glad Donald Trump is gone. It would be a much worse country if he weren't. But we failed. We failed. Those of us who were trying to unseat Republicans, who were trying to expand the Democratic majority. We we did take the Senate eventually, barely. But... This needed to be a repudiation election, not just of Trump, but of the Republican Party, so that the forces within the Republican Party who wanted to reform it could have leverage to do so. And those of us who, wanted, who tried to administer the pain failed. They gained seats in the House. They got a 50-50 Senate. Uh, look, I'm glad we won those two seats. But they, the, the forces of insanity in the Republican Party are pointing around and saying, we gained seats. This worked. And they're just going to keep coddling the Marjorie Taylor Greens and that whole group until it hurts.
0: I think that's exactly right, and um, and I, I think that's one of the really unfortunate developments of 2020 is that it hasn't hurt at the congressional level. In fact, I think that Kevin McCarthy. Um, well, I think the conventional wisdom is is that is that, uh, and Kevin McCarthy would agree with this that the Republicans are well positioned to take control of the House next year. So why why would they clean house? Why would they engage in in the project of political hygiene and getting rid of the people who behave this uh, this badly? You know, you keep hope. I, I mean, I keep hoping that at some point um, people will see this and go, we can't go in this direction. Uh, but, you know, I you know as, as, as somebody who you know thought that Republicans were going off on going off the rails five years ago, um, that seems that seems quaint right now. I, it, it's amazing to me, I have to say, and you can accuse me of being naive. The Tell speed, me. the speed with which the Republican Party has been corrupted and the intellectual infrastructure of the right has been absolutely destroyed. The speed and the thoroughness is really amazing that that this could happen in just one presidential term.
1: Yeah. I mean, what Trump did was essentially to say, what if I don't follow the rules? Because Trump Trump just didn't give a damn about any of the rules. What if I just Pursue pure political advantage. What if I take the the right wing line about military strength and the and the left's line about um, e- economic nationalism and put them together? What if I just you know thoroughly corrupt the government and, do, and turn it to my personal political ends? And it turns out he just didn't suffer much for that. So the people who wanna stand up for the rules now have to have to make that hurt, right? The way you would do, if you were dealing with a foreign aggressor, right? You have to make it hurt or they'll just keep expanding and exploiting. That's kind of what's, I mean, the latest theory, right? Is that the insurrection itself will hurt Republicans in 2022. That that's the thing, people hmm. dying because of this craziness will finally make it hurt politically in the Republican party. I don't believe it. Uh, Show me. We're two years away from 2022. If it happens, great. I'll be excited. But I'm very skeptical that even the insurrection is going to hurt the Republican Party in the next round of elections.
0: No, I I, keep in mind how how long, you know, uh, how how far away that is. But also the all of the lies about the election, uh, the attempts to delegitimize the election, um, you know, have been debunked on in so many ways, you would think that that would be a huge scandal that, that there would be Republicans who would be chagrined about it. But uh, my sense is that they are, uh, very much, uh, energized, uh, to double down on suppressing more votes, uh, to make it harder to vote that, uh, that they think that the, the, the original sin of 2020 was it was too easy and too many of the wrong people got to the ballot box. And, you know, by God, they're going to fix that by 2022 including, unfortunately, some of the people who were the bulwarks of democracy this time around, some of the folks in Georgia who are not necessarily um, on the right side of all of these issues. It, 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 and the way that the Republican Party has internalized the opposition to voting rights is really, that's another thing. It's just like, you know, they, they at least used to pretend you know, that this is what they were trying to do. And now it is so over. So tell me, uh, let's talk about impeachment for a while. Uh, for, for a moment. The vote yesterday um, it came as a shock to some people, probably shouldn't have. Uh, 45 Republican senators went along with Rand Paul's uh, bogus idea that it was unconstitutional to have a trial of a, of a former official, despite the fact that there are historical precedents. To me, that was, you know, I, I, I don't think that you know more than a handful actually took the constitutional issue seriously. They just wanted to punt it. They just wanted it to go away. They just do not want to cast that vote against Donald Trump.
1: Right, which is why they should have to cast that vote. Um it's why they should have to vote on the merits. This is they've they're taking Rand Paul is offering the, the these Republican senators the easiest way out, right? We're not even going to address the merits. We're just gonna say that uh being a former president means you can't be impeached, right? Um so they of course they're gonna take that. The 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 argument against it is it's it's the Fifth Avenue defense, Charlie. It's there it is nothing to which this Theory would not apply, right? The president walks out in Fifth Avenue, shoots someone, gets impeached, his term ends before the Senate trial begins, and the argument would still apply, right? Now, of course, there you can like prosecute the guy for murder, but even so, I mean, it's it's crazy how comprehensive this defense is. Um, it's also, I don't agree with it on the merits either, but uh, I don't think that that shame. That shaming people by pointing this out is going to work, right? They're just going to shrug and turn away, um,
0: right? No, we're po- definitely post shame. Yeah. What, what John Cleese had a great uh, uh, tweet this morning. Let's see if I can actually find it because it was was really perfect. And and I and I will mangle it if, if I don't if I don't read it exactly correct. He said, "Oh, okay, John Cleese, having dispensed with shame, most Republican senators now don't even bother to be hypocritical." <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. right. There's Can I say there's one other line about this that I'm really I mean part when you go down this rabbit hole of of coming up with endless excuses and rationalizations one of the things you do is you just start stepping all over yourself because you're not you're hardly paying attention to what you're saying. Yeah. So the the Joni Ernst argument uh she put out her statement on this. It's simultaneously number 1, look, Trump is gone, he's no longer president we don't need to worry about him, so we don't need to impeach, right? Impeachment wasn't designed for people who are no longer a threat. They're out of office. And number two, how dare we tell people who they can vote for in the future by barring Trump from office by impeaching him? Well, (laughs) obviously the two things are contradictory, but Joni Ernst doesn't even take the time to think that through.
0: No, because a lot of this, is you know, I was listening to a lot of these debates and I guess I've become very, very cynical that there is no fixed principle. It's just, you know, there's simply which cudgel you want to use at any given moment here. Now, you're seeing a lot of that. And, of course, the the other line, which is that that it's so divisive. It is so we can't divide the country over this. Like, have you people been paying attention to what's been going on for the last four years, not to mention the last uh two months, when you think about what the president of the United States did with all of the lying and the incitement, um, all of the conspiracy theories, all pitting one, you know, one American against another. And now it's suddenly, yes, but, but we cannot, we can't hold him accountable. That holding him accountable is more divisive than what he just did, seriously. So we're getting that argument out there. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, part of it is, you know this. This was the this was the perfect way to for the Republican Party to quit Donald Trump and move on, but they're not going to do it. I mean, it's it's like they've been liberated and they don't want to go. The, no, we're happy being Vichy. We are happy, you know, doing this. We are happy being held hostage to the lowest common denominator, uh, folks out there. Um, and it, I'm, I'm I'm afraid I was watching. I, by the way, um, I, I mentioned this. Uh, PBS Frontline had a fantastic documentary last night called, uh, Trump's American carnage. And I, I make some cameo appearances, but you know, one of the things that stuck me with, with me was, was the scene that they had in there after he, he was, uh, he was acquitted from his first impeachment. He comes out, uh, in the white house and he holds up the Washington post and the big headline is Trump acquitted. And he too was taking a victory lap the way in which he felt absolutely emboldened that he saw that as giving him permission to do anything. And you wonder what are the consequences of Republicans, you know, watching everything that the president did, inciting this insurrection, five dead people, a dead cop, and acquitting him that, you know, what, what now have you empowered? What, what signal have you sent now? Because it's not just let's just move on because you can't, as you point out, you're going to have to vote one way or another. And it's just not like, okay, we're done with that, because that's going to be a statement. And Donald Trump will use it, I'm afraid, uh, to uh, slingshot himself back into, uh, you know, back into I was going to say control of the Republican Party, but he's got control of the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, and this to me is one of the great tragedies and embarrassments of this time we're living in, that the Republican Party, which when I was a kid, uh, fancied itself, presented itself as the party of strength, of standing up to dictatorship, standing up to aggressors. Um, When the dictator or the would-be dictator arose in our own country and in their own party, they knuckled under, they appeased, they turned out to be just complete cowards, um, even even after he's out of office, they're afraid to cross him. Um, and the, the the lesson they were right they were right in what they said about aggressors that if you try to appease the aggressor, the aggressor will take more and more. The aggressor will wave the Washington Post around and say, "I was acquitted. I will do. I will go even further in this direction." They saw it and they liked it and they accepted it and they are such cowards that. E- he can leave the room and they are still haunted by his shadow. It's just, Hmm. it's just uh, a a great embarrassment.
0: Yeah. That's kind of my reaction that we've known it's been bad. It's been bad. It's been bad. It's been bad. And then suddenly over the last few days, it's like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's even worse. They're even haunted by him. And he's, he's down there sulking. He has no Twitter feed. He doesn't know what to do. He's probably, you know, binging on ding dongs, who the hell knows. And yet they're still just afraid I'll tell you something else that was kind of depressing for me last night was watching this uh, PBS Frontline was um, and I said this to my wife. I said, did you notice the role that Paul Ryan plays in this? They had the various scenes of the last four years. Paul Ryan, who at one time was. The intellectual and political leader of the, of the Republican party. And he was for people who, you know, remember he was vice presidential nominee. He was, he was speaker by acclamation. He was, he was you know, regarded as the future of the Republican party. He has reduced in this the last four years to basically being in the, in the chorus line. I mean, he's sort of back there, like I, you know, just sort of cheering on and just smiling and you no, know, a, a figure of, of no import whatsoever. And, and that's what Donald Trump has done to the Republican Party. So we'll, uh, in, the, in the few minutes we have left, how do you think Joe Biden's doing in the first week? This is, believe it or not, he has been president for just one week, one uh,
1: week. I, th- I think Biden's doing fine. He's doing. He should be doing fine because it was left to him by the Trump administration to just represent sanity. And so most of what he has done in the first, I mean, like, how about if we start saving lives? How about if we stop losing 3,500, 4,000 people a day? Uh, needlessly to a disease? How about if we try to uh, keep people from losing their apartments and their jobs? I mean, all of that is pretty straightforward stuff. So at this stage of the Biden administration, he should be doing fine and he is doing fine, in my opinion.
0: Well, you have focus on the right who are saying that. Well, wait so a lot of these uh, these executive orders seem to be punching uh, woke buttons. Uh, you know, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, stuff about uh, you know gen- gender studies, uh, critical race <laughs> theory, and I mean, no, you're 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 seeing you're seeing a lot of people. You know, on 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 the on the right um, saying, well. How do you feel about your vote for him now? And, I, and I'll be honest with—I you, I agree with Mo- Mona. Sharon's got a great piece in Bulwark, but I agree with her that right now I'm I'm still basking in the post-Trump era, the Trumpless America. That and and going back to your 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 article, I get. I guess I am, and and maybe this this is an indictment of myself. Maybe that, maybe I'm confessing something awful that that the the right-left continuum doesn't motivate me as much as this vertical continuum of truth, decency, falsehood, you know, empathy, you know, liberal democracy, all of those things, which I feel we've, we've just, we've, we've, we've escaped this narrowly and it's refreshing even when someone's wrong to see somebody actually doing the job of, of governing. I mean, even if I disagree with you, I'm disagreeing with you within the parameters of normal politics, as opposed to what the hell, what, what fascist lunacy is he going to come up with next?
1: Right. Uh, I mean, the complaints that people have about Biden's little fibs here and there are re- refreshingly ancient. Like, that's, oh, that's what it used to be like when the president's, you know, when, when the lies were small, <laughs> when the lies were negotiable, when it was a matter of spin and not just pure fabrication. Um, so, no, I'm happy to see that return to normalcy. Uh, but I worry that uh, that Biden can't solve this problem. Biden actually can't provide the unity because- yeah. Biden will—he has to represent the left party in this country, right? But it can be center-left, but it's still on the left. And so, n- we will not so fundamentally solve this problem until the center-right reestablishes itself, right? Until there is a constituency for or leadership. Uh, there, there needs to be a Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Bulwark, Dispatch, National Review, whatever the hell you want to call it, just like a a a center of gravity on the right that has enough of a political base and enough of an audience to make it feel safer to republican politicians yeah. to stand up and say i'm we're not on the left and we believe in sanity and reality
0: I completely agree. But also, let's face it, uh, what what Biden's got to do is he's got to succeed because nothing succeeds like success. He's got to get the pandemic under control and he's got to get the economy back on its feet. If he does those two things, he will be able to do a lot of other things. If he fails at those two tasks, then everything in this project, including what you just mentioned, will fail. He's got to establish himself as somebody that can get something done. I, one, one, other, one last comment about Biden that really strikes me, and I think this is one of the advantages of being at his advanced age uh, and experience, is that he's doing the job as opposed to being the job. Um, you have a lot of other people like Donald Trump who wanted to just be president and he was just sort of, you know, reveling in this like this is cool. Joe Biden walked in like I've been here before. I've done this and, and we've got a limited amount of time. And so let's just do stuff. Whereas, let's face it, that was not Donald Trump. Donald Trump was not interested in doing stuff. And we're living with the consequences uh, as we speak. Will Salatin, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I appreciate it. really, And I really appreciated your article, which uh, people can go uh, look up in Slate. The enemy isn't Republicans. It is liars. Will, thanks for coming back. Thank you, Charlie. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. And we'll do this all over again.